Well, good evening. In Mark's account of Jesus' life, we're looking right tonight and last week at the responses to Jesus. And it's important that they are, uh, have some depth to the response, a commitment, not token responses. Because a token response is not sincere. It lacks substance and even commitment to keep that promise. Uh, right now we've got some uh, elections coming, election next month, uh, state election. And I've noticed that when elections are around, the different parties are making lots of promises and their money's just pouring out. You know? Millions and billions of dollars have been offered and offered and offered. And um, I don't know about you, but I get a bit sort of sceptical of how they're going to go in four years' time, whether these great promises are going to be you know, fulfilled or whether they're going to be delayed or they're going to be changed or work in progress or whatever. It's easy to make promises, isn't it? Very easy to make a promise. Will we keep it? Will it be just a token, just to appease people, get people on side, look like we're in the game? Or are we sincere about it? And Jesus is actually asking for people to make a sincere response to him, a sincere promise. Last week we saw him calling people to follow him, and those people left all they had to follow Jesus. And that was a big call. And tonight we're going to see more about that. We're going to see actually uh, a couple of times tonight what the response is not, and then we'll look at what it should be. First of all, as we uh, go into Mark, we've come to the Sabbath day in Mark chapter, 20, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And the Sabbath day is in this day and age, it was a Saturday. Um, Sunday, which we looked at the Sabbath, uh, was after Jesus' resurrection on the, on the Sunday. They, the Christians changed the Sunday to the Sabbath day. But the Jews had it, and still today, have it as Saturday. And so from Friday night, from uh, sunset Friday night until um, all through the night and all day Saturday until sunset on Saturday night, uh, you couldn't do any work. You're very limited in what you could do. You go to the temple and you could worship, but very limited in what you could do otherwise. Lots of rules controlling the Sabbath. And the Sabbath day, it says in verse 21, they came to Capernaum, which is a very large place. When the Sabbath day came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Jesus made a habit of going into synagogues. In fact, there were lots of synagogues. And you could have a synagogue, the Jews could, have, could make a synagogue if they had 10 adult males, they could form a synagogue. It was just a gathering, a gathering of Jewish people, a gathering of people to worship God. But here there was a much bigger synagogue and Jesus went in as was his practice. He went into the synagogues because he wanted to reach out to the Jews. And it says when he went into the synagogue, he began to teach. And we're going to see these unlike the other teachers because other teachers would open up the Bible. They only had the Old Testament. They would read something from the Old Testament and they might read something from a rabbi or some scholar has written somewhere else and that was it. But Jesus had a different style. He didn't quote anyone else and he, uh, he didn't lean on previous teaching by rabbis. In fact, look at verse 23. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. He was so different. He had some personal authority that was quietly displayed in his presentation. We know already, he's talked in verse 15, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. And he's been calling upon people to repent and believe, to respond. And Jesus, in Jesus is the kingdom of God, God's chosen person. And he's coming to God's chosen people and calling them to make a response. And Jesus, when he would look up the Old Testament, because they didn't have the new, it wasn't written at that time, when he would go to the Old Testament and he would read about it, 
um, but he would then expand it with further understanding and further wisdom and insight that, they, that he had. And we can see that if you go to a, uh, the corresponding time in Matthew, is Jesus actually giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he didn't just do that on the Mount, he would have been doing that sort of teaching in all the synagogues around the place. So he was taking the Old Testament and applying the teaching of the Old Testament to today in a way that people are going, wow, yes, that's true, they're being convicted, that's right. And they could see that he had authority, not that he was saying, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, I'm in charge. But the way he presented it made sense of God's word. And they were convicted and they understood he was speaking the truth. And look what happens while that's going on, because you think, wow, Jesus preaching like that and talking about the Old Testament and the Sermon on the Mount stuff, bringing it all out. Wow, people would be all sided and brought together. But no, instead of being harmony, there's division and strife comes. Look at verse 23, the opposite of what we'd expect. But just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This evil spirit knows that saying us is more than one there. And this evil spirit, this demon-possessed man, is actually unwittingly bearing witness to who Jesus is, the person and work of Jesus. And this demon has just tormented this man and trying to destroy what God has created. And Capernaum was a really proud city. Remember, it was on Galilee. It was one of those areas full of national pride that had been challenged over the years by invading countries. And they were strong Jews and very proud of who they were. And it's a strange situation to think in their normal worship there could be someone who is possessed by a demon and not stand out until Jesus came. Why didn't he stand out before? Because the kingdom of God is in Jesus. And the kingdom of God is where evil is going to be judged and punished and controlled, and they know it. So where life can go on quietly before that, now suddenly there's trouble because Jesus is present for them. And the evil spirit had been possessing this man knew who Jesus was. He said, you're the Holy One of God, pointing out Jesus was God-made man. And this shows us, doesn't it, that you know, what is faith then? Because the demons can't have faith. But surely faith knows who Jesus is, the Son of God. But faith must be more than that. That's what we're seeing. Faith is more than that. The faith that's going to save us, the faith that's going to make us right with God has got to be something more than just knowing who Jesus is. In fact, it's got to be more than something temporary because sometimes we can have faith when we're sick and we can trust God to make us better and we can focus on God and really seek him and, and, and we get better and we, it's gone. We don't need that faith anymore. It was without a problem in life. Or we're traveling and we pray for God to give us a safe journey to there and back because it's long and dangerous and we arrive home and we don't need that faith because it's been for a particular situation. But the faith that saves us is not like either of those. It's not something temporary. It's got to be something permanent and ongoing. And it's more than knowing who Jesus is. Jesus already told us that we need to respond to him by repenting, by recognizing that we're going the wrong way, recognizing that we're failing to please God, recognizing we need to be forgiven. And he's the one that forgives us. 
And now we need to believe in him, not just knowing who he is, but beyond that, now trusting him, relying on him, and as he's been calling people, follow him. Make him Lord and leader and follow him in life. Now you might ask, well, what's this you know, Satan, this evil spirit doing here? What's going on with that? Well, it's already come up before that, and we didn't do that before, but now we're going to bring it out. You go back to verses 12 and 13 and 14. Well, 12 and 13. After Jesus was baptized by John, at once the spirit that came upon him in the baptism, at once the spirit sent him out into the desert. And he's in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan, his wild animals and the angels attended him. Now, if you go to Matthew chapter 4, don't do it now. If you do it later on, in Matthew 4, it expands. It gives us more information. In Matthew 4, it tells us that Jesus was tempted for in the desert 40 days. He was fasting. The end of 40 days, it has the great understatement. He was hungry. Who wouldn't be hungry after 40 days of no food? I mean, you'd be weak, physically weakened and, and hungry, wouldn't you? And then at this time of, of you know, weakness physically for Jesus, after enduring so much, the devil comes. And the devil comes with three temptations. We won't worry about what they were. But each temptation, uh, Jesus just knocked it on the head. Jesus just dealt with it really quickly and easily because he quoted the Bible back to the devil. And it just took the temptations away. And when he quoted the Bible, I don't know if you think, but I think, hang on, I'm talking to the devil. I'll have to be able to you know, find the exact you know, Exodus chapter 4, verse whatever. i have to be able to quote it, look at the exact point. Otherwise, I'd be in trouble. He didn't do that. Jesus just quoted what the Bible said. Didn't quote where it came from. It was only the Old Testament. Didn't quote where it came from. But you see, the devil knew what was in the Bible. The devil didn't know, need to know the reference. Didn't even know the page number. The devil knew it was true. And so Jesus just told him what it was about, and the devil shut up and tried to tempt him again. Just told him none. The devil shut up and tried to tempt him again. Told him no one. The devil gave up. And it was just knowing the Bible. Because the power of God is in the written word. And the devil can't stand against that. We'll look at more at that later. So you might sort of say, well, are evil spirits around us right now? Are they any threat to us today? Yeah, we cannot be aware they exist. In fact, uh, evil spirits love to th for us to think they don't exist. Uh, you know what a terrorist is? You know, a terrorist is someone who goes down the street like, I am a terrorist, look out, I'm dangerous. Is that true? No. Terrorists don't I mean someone who's not quite right would do that. But a terrorist don't do that. A terrorist try and fit in with the crowd. They want to think you're not, he's not there. And then they want to attack at the most opportune time. That's what a terrorist does. And can I tell you, the devil and, and the evil are terrorists. They don't want to let us know they're around. They just want to attack quietly and subtly and powerfully. Don't worry, we've got an answer for this. You see, our problem is we're too scientific. You know, we're an educated group of people in our country. We're very scientific, we tend to rationalise things and what we tend to do is remove anything spiritual from our living because it's not scientific to think like that. Well, we'll look at that too. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, We know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of Jesus? No, the evil one. 
The whole world's under the control of the evil one. At the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, the worst was cursed, the world was cursed, and evil was in control. And that's why we have disasters and things going wrong. Evil's present. Yes, it will all be done away with him when we go to heaven, when the kingdom of God actually does come on earth. It'll all go away, it'll all be done with. But right now, the world we live in is controlled by evil. If you don't believe that, have a look at the news program next time on TV. Read the, local pa- read the papers and see what it says. It's just confronted with bad things, horrible things, nasty things. Things you say, how can people do that? We live in a world controlled by evil. Terrorists running around wanting to attack us. But we manage every day to live with dangerous things. This is nothing new. And you and I live with dangerous things every day. We can, we can be aware of harmful things around us and just manage them. I mean, who walked here to church tonight? I'm the only one that walked. I didn't have far to go down next door. You all drove or passed you in a car. Yet you and I know the roads are dangerous. Every car approaching you is dangerous. If they stay on their side of the road, great. But we know they always don't, do they? And if you don't know, but there's an intersection down here with a stop sign on that side, stops on this side, but people don't stop often. And so as I go through that intersection down here and get to Chapel Street, I have to do what's called defensing driving. I have to one, slow down, two, be looking out, and three, move my foot from my accelerator to my brake ready to jam it on. And pretty often I have to put it on pretty hard because someone will run at the stop sign and hoping no one's coming, ready to burst across, but I'm there and they've got to pull up real quick. And it's a real nuisance. But if you know that exists, you can be a bit defensive. And you're driving along the road and a car coming towards you, and if they start weaving over to the centre line, what do you do? You get over, don't you? Give them a bit of room. Even pull off the road if it's that bad. And who here, no, don't tell me, but if you are foolish enough to drive down the road and say, this is my side of the road, so I'm going to park my driver's side of the car right on the centre line because this is my side and I'm going to drive there, you're in for an accident sooner or later. No one drives like that, do they? Don't tell me if you do because you shouldn't. Now, you need to leave space between the centre line because sometimes people coming the other way will be texting or answering a phone call or looking down at something and they'll drift over the, a bit over to the centre line. And if you're right on the centre line, they'll drift right into you. So you drive defensively, you move, leave a bit of space in case someone inadvertently does that. Not that they mean to, but they inadvertently don't. We live with that all the time, every time we go on the road. Who never goes out in the daylight? Yeah, Mick Kirch does because he's working night shift, but he's out tonight or today. No, we all go out in the sun, don't we? And we know there's danger in the sun, don't we? You know, we know that you can get skin cancer. We're told to slip, slop, slap, cover up, all that sort of stuff. And when I was growing up a kid, we didn't know that, but now we know it. We deal with that danger. We know there's danger out there in the sunshine, but we deal with it. We manage it. Not a problem. I could just keep going on. We know lots of danger in life, but we just manage it well. And it's not a problem to us. It's the same with evil. Even though evil's in the world, it's not a problem to us because we've got Jesus and Jesus defeated it. And so we don't have to be worried about evil. In fact, all we need to do is be aware of 
evil. Do not fear it and just keep clear because we belong to Jesus and it can't hurt us. Verse 24, the end of verse 24, the evil spirits say to Jesus, have you come to destroy us? There's more than one demon here. With the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand and judgment is here. Judgment on all that's evil. And Jesus has the power to judge and to destroy and the evil spirits know that. So Jesus tells them to go out and they cry with great shrieks and they leave them because Jesus has complete authority over those evil spirits. The people there say in verse 27, you know, the people were all amazed. They asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And so news spread quickly about the whole region. Jesus had authority. But also we notice that Jesus didn't keep doing, casting out evil spirits and stuff. Because, and he actually gave these orders to these evil spirits not to speak. Why not let them speak? Why not let them testify that he is the Holy One of God, the Son of God? Why not? Because Jesus didn't want people to come to know him by what others said. Jesus wanted people to come to know him by listening to his teaching learning from him and then responding to God through that. Jesus then comes in verse 29 to the home of Simon and Andrew. Probably they went there for a meal. In verse 30, something jumped out to me that I hadn't seen before. I'd read this several thousand times, this book. I don't know how many times. I couldn't work it out. I was very familiar with it. Something jumped out to me that I hadn't ever noticed before. The Bible has that way of doing things. You can read something over and over and over. You can know it off by heart. You can be so familiar with it. And then you can read it again, something go, oh, what's that? The Bible has that way of doing it. It's only a trivial thing, but look at verse 30. Simon's mother, this is Simon Peter. This is the one who Mark is writing for in this book. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. Who's your mother-in-law? Your wife's mother? Simon Peter had a wife? Don't really think about it that way. Didn't really recognise that. I looked it up. I found that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it actually says that... Uh, Peter's wife accompanied him on his ministry at that point. That adds a whole new thing to when Jesus went and called Simon Andrew to follow him. Uh, Simon Peter had to leave, not just the family business and the work, but leave his wife or his wife had to come with him. Either one, we don't really know at that point. But it was a costly commitment to him. The mother-in-law is sick. What does Jesus do? Goes in, takes her by the hand. Immediately she's well. Nothing said, just takes her by the hand. She's healed instantly. And notice what the mother-in-law does. This is not sexist. This is actually the mother-in-law's glad thanksgiving for what Jesus has done. And she does what she's best at doing. She goes and prepares a meal for them. They came there for a meal, so she now is better. And she's more than happy to prepare a meal. She's fully recovered. Healthy, well. 
Verse 32, that evening after sunset, so the Sabbath day is now finished, uh, all the rules for limiting are over, and droves of people come, crowds of people come to Jesus. They bring sick people, they bring demon-possessed people, and there's more than one person with demon possession. There's a whole lot of people. Now you might ask, hang on a minute, sick, come, and demon-possessed, are the two connected? That's a good question, a reasonable question. Um, Well, we don't see it here. Uh, they may be, but we don't see it. See, Simon's mother-in-law was sick, but nothing about demon possession there. Uh, just after this, um, Jesus will heal a leper, and uh, nothing about the leper having demon possession. Beginning of chapter 2, he'll heal a paralytic, nothing about the paralytic having demon possession. It, it may be connected, but definitely there's no saying it is. So just because someone's sick, it would be just totally wrong to say they're possessed by a demon. That would be wrong. It's not not the norm here at all. And so there doesn't have to be that connection. But the good news is Jesus fixes it all up with a word. He is Lord of all. He is a son of God. And the whole town's come out and he heals many people. And again, he tells the demons they can't say who he is because he wanted the people to come to know him through his teaching. He wasn't there to put on a show. He wanted people to look beyond what was happening, to listen to what he said. And this idea of the demons knowing who Jesus is, in James chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us, believe there's one God, even the demons do and shudder. They know there's one God. They know it's Jesus, God made man. And at this point, you might say, hang on, if all these demons are out there and, and the demon was actually with someone in the church, in the synagogue, you know, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? That's a good question. The answer is no. Uh, first of all, when Jesus came, uh, he hadn't been on the scene for, uh, up till then, and so demons could have their merry way because Jesus wasn't present. But once Jesus was present, bang, the demon's got a problem. And we'll come into that in a minute. Um, but you and I can't be possessed by a demon because we're possessed by something far more powerful. What are we possessed and controlled by? Holy Spirit, yeah. Open and shut case. The demons and evil do not, cannot stand against the Holy Spirit of God. It's done deal, finished. What the demons and evil spirits can do is knock on their head and say, try and tempt us and say, hey, come on, get angry about this. Come on, say something. Come on, go and do this. On the outside, they can be trying to to get our attention and get us to do things, but they're not controlling us. They're trying to get in and make us do the wrong thing. That's what sin's all about. We have to keep repenting of that. But they're on the outside and the spirit's on the inside. And the spirit of Jesus, the one who has the victory, the one who controls sin, is inside of us. And so we're seeing Jesus here with the full authority and power of God. And I was uh, many years ago in another place and uh, I was handing out some leaflets for a coffee shop and as I was walking down the main street of this very busy place with lots of people around and a man came towards me, I was another Christian guy, and a man came towards me and he was well dressed and I handed this leaflet inviting him to this coffee shop run by the, the, the church down the road and this guy went ballistic, went from being a calm guy to jumping and yelling and screaming and in the end after a couple of minutes he was actually foaming at the mouth, I mean white foam pouring out his mouth, he worked himself up into such a, a lather of sweat and foaming the mouth and, and in fact what happened was 
Everyone in the street stopped. The traffic stopped. People in the shops came out and looked. There was such a big scene. Everything stopped. This guy was going so off. No one ever seen it like it. And I'm thinking, what do I do? And I was a policeman. Now, like, the rest of this guy is crazy. You know, I need a few people to help me. This guy's gone ballistic. What am I going to do? And then I finally got my... Jesus, I prayed in my mind, Jesus, help me. Didn't say a thing, just prayed that prayer. Bang! This guy changed. Calmed down. All went walking past, walked off like nothing happened. He was still foaming in the mouth but, and all sweating, but went walking off like nothing happened down the road, never said a thing, went out of sight. And it was only because I said, Jesus, help me. No fancy prayer, no casting out demons or whatever. There was Jesus' total control over this man because I asked Jesus to help me. I thought, okay. I've been doing ministry 40-odd years, that sort of stuff. That's the only occasion I've met that. So don't be worried. Don't think you're going to walk out the street and run into it. But if it did happen, you don't have to worry about it. you got Jesus, far more powerful. You don't have to know any fancy prayer. Just pray to Jesus. He'll look after it. Let's not focus on the evil spirits because they've lost the battle. They're game over. We're on the winning side with Jesus and Jesus shows us quite clearly here that he's the winner. And he wants us to respond. Yes, he wants us to know who he is, but he wants us to respond more than that. Knowing he's, he's God's king, the son of God, knowing he's the saviour of the world, he wants all that, but he wants us to go further than that because the demons know that. He wants us to be people who repent, who recognise we're going the wrong way and turn back through Jesus to God, seeking forgiveness. And keep doing that because we're never going to be perfect, never right. Keep doing that over and over and over again. You know, I hate sin. I really get, why did I do that again? I get so angry at myself. And because deep down inside I think I can earn my way to heaven. I can't. I don't like getting freebies, but I have to keep getting freebies off Jesus because I need his forgiveness. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I need to keep asking and keep getting it freely from him. That's a humbling thing. You you just don't like it, but it's a humbling thing. But isn't it liberating too? Because it doesn't rely on me. It doesn't rely on me meeting the mark, hitting the standard. I still strive for that, and we all should, but I know I've got Jesus on my side. And I know if things go wrong in life because we live in an evil world, then I've got Jesus, and I don't have to be fearful or worried at all. And I can pray, and Jesus is sovereign and powerful, and he rules and he controls, and he can do whatever he wants with it. What about you? And let's be people who continue to believe, who trust Jesus, who want him more and more and more. You know, we talked about being captivated by Christ um, the other week, but let's be people who just can't have enough of Jesus. You know, don't want to watch him for the show and don't want to be with him just to see him do miracles and use us in powerful ways. Let's not do that at all. Let's be people who just want Jesus, want to know him more, want to see him more clearly and love him more dearly and follow him more closely. You know, if we do that, there's nothing in this life that can challenge us because we belong to Jesus, the Son of God.